Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You guys, welcome to Just the Sip. Of course, we're filming this episode on Friday the 13th. So everything that could go wrong in this one did. Obviously, we're all still in this pandemic. So bear with us. We have some technical difficulties, but this conversation is finger licking good, okay? We dive in and we dive in quick. So pour yourself a drink, get yourself situated, because this conversation with Rachel Slauson is about to go off. On Daily Pop, we interview guests, and when you first get the interview request, it's like, all right, you need to meet Miss Utah, you know, 2020, and she's running for Miss USA 2020, and her name is Rachel Slauson, and it's gonna be great. (laughs) And then you dropped about 20 mini bombs on me. And I had just never met somebody that was that open, especially coming from the pageant world. I feel like, and maybe this is me stereotyping most pageant girls, that you guys are closed. You guys like to put up this perfect facade, but you didn't do that. You honestly lead with your truth. Was that hard to get to for you? I think when I first started doing pageants, I really tried to fit that cookie cutter mold of just, you know, really trying to present this perfect image and it didn't really work. And if anything, it made me mentally unwell. So part of why I returned to pageantry was to add that breath of fresh air and like actually be an authentic human. And I think that, you know, all of those women have that in them and I've connected with many of them on that level, but not everyone in pageantry or not is really willing to do that in front of everyone, you know? How many times did you compete in a pageant before you won Miss Utah? Five times. Five times. Isn't it crazy that it wasn't until you were your real authentic self that not only did you place, but you won? Yeah, I never even made top five until I actually just embraced who I am as a person. And um, that's what ended up giving me the title and the crown. So I'm I'm kind of sticking with that. It didn't really work out as well at Miss USA as I'd hoped, but I'm gonna go with what I'm doing from now on. We're not talking about a normal transition. We're not talking about, you know, finding your voice. We're talking about beating the odds. You were the first woman to compete that's a part of the LGBTQ community who, um, is winning at living with bipolar disorder, who also was homeless, 
who beat a eating disorder. Like, bitch, you survived some. <laughs> you know, you survived some. I told my coach I was scared to lose, and he was like, Rachel you were homeless. Like, I think you can lose a pageant. <laughs> right? But the one time, there was one time where you lost, where you almost lost your life because you sank so low. Tell me about that night. Yeah, so that was the second time I competed for Miss Utah. I had spent the entire year becoming what I thought they wanted. And then when I lost, it just, it broke me, you know, because I had really tried to fit myself into this mold and then it still didn't work. So... It broke my heart, you know, but it also was the place that I really rebuilt myself from. And it's, I think, why I can lose something as big as Miss USA and still continue on with my life because I know who I am as a person. And I also know what yeah. I can offer. And I've learned that from losing, you know, it's, it's in those moments when you aren't chosen that you get to remember why you chose yourself to begin with. I'm not in the pageant world. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel the pressure eternally to present a certain way? Or do people say, girl, you're never going to make it if you don't do X, Y, Z, pretend to be this person, that person, and that person? In all honesty, you know, there's always that thought like, well, maybe if I was a little less myself, maybe I would have done better at Miss USA. You know, that thought's crossed my mind over the last couple of days because I am so outspoken yeah, you know. about, you know, that aren't yeah. always brand friendly. But I think ultimately... I wouldn't have been able to make the impact I've made in people's personal lives this year if I had held back in any of my truth or any of my stories. So that matters to me more than, you know, fitting into a specific brand. Now, how did you figure out that you were bipolar? And was it like a aha moment? Because I have a friend who just figured out at the age of 40 something that she is mm -hmm dealing with bipolar and she said that she had all these aha moments that explained a lot of her life and a lot of her childhood that she didn't realize. Yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed multiple times before I finally accepted the diagnosis. I think that, you know, when I heard doctors say, oh, I think you might have some form of bipolar disorder, that just sounded really scary. So I was yeah. like, cute. No, that's not me. You know, I'm fine. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and I continued on in my life until I ended up having a manic episode. I've only had one real manic episode, but it's far scarier than being suicidal. Like it's the scariest thing I've ever experienced. I lost touch with reality for like three or four days. But in those three or four days, like 20 years happened, like time was completely distorted and it was terrifying. And so it wasn't until that happened that I finally accepted, OK, there's something different about my brain that I should probably accept. And, you know, I, I started really advocating for my own treatment at that point. And, you know, I haven't had a manic episode since then. And doctors are optimistic, actually, that I might not have that happen again. So you know, there's there's sort of this death sentence that happens with bipolar yeah. disorder, but if you actually receive treatment, especially at a younger age, there's a lot of potential for your brain to heal. Wow. How did you know that you were having a manic episode if you've never experienced one? So I thought that Elon Musk was coming to pick me up in a spaceship and take me to Mars. You were there. Yeah, so I was like, I was genuinely like looking around waiting for Elon and my friends were like, Elon's not coming. <laughs> oh, okay. It was it was that deep. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And that was just like the beginning of it. it, it the whole experience lasted for a couple of days. So 
it wasn't really until it was over that I realized that maybe something had happened. Because in the middle of it, you're just like, you think life is like this exciting adventure. Sure. And I'm like thinking Elon's coming, you know? And I I, <laughs> I tried throwing, um, I was actually a flight attendant at the time. So I, I tried throwing a Christmas party at the hotel that I was staying at. I told the pilots I wasn't going to work and that I was going to have a party instead. And so I didn't go to work. I started inviting strangers to a Christmas party. And then, um, you know, sat down to wait for Elon to come get me. And it wasn't until paramedics came to get me that I, you know, I discovered that we weren't, we weren't having the same experience, <laughs> me and the outside the way, world, you know? I'm like, are you, is this a mushroom trip that I need to know about? Because this sounds like it is far no, out and a crazy. It's actually funny you say that. So I, I don't participate in drugs anymore, as you could probably guess why, <laughs> but at the time, I was using uh, recreational drugs, and it was very much like taking drugs, except I didn't take anything. So, you know, doctors thought, well, maybe she did take something, you know, maybe maybe she's high, because that's basically like I was tripping, except I hadn't yeah. taken any drugs. And so, you know, that's part of why I also have stopped taking drugs, because I, I really think that that played into me having that manic episode. So yeah. I was going through a lot of trauma and I was really depressed at the time. And all of my friends were like, well, here, try this. Like, this will help you. And I was in such a vulnerable position where I was like, all I want is to like have a breakthrough. All I want is to see the world differently because the world I'm seeing right now is pretty, pretty hard. So like, please, like, I'll take anything, you know? And then I did. For sure. You'll try anything. Yeah, you, you just want to feel better. And so I have a lot of empathy if that's how people are coping. But I've once heard this quote that like, enlightenment is not found on the mountaintop. Like, you know, just like enlightenment was not found when I won Miss Utah USA. Like, I remember when that crown was put on my head, I was almost more depressed in that moment than I had been at other points in that year. Because you think wow. that you think that winning is going to fill all these holes in your heart. And then you realize like, no, it was just a plastic hat that was put on your head. And now you still have to deal with yourself. <laughs> you still yeah. gotta go look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, so I feel like drugs are very similar where yeah, they might give you a euphoric experience, but it's not gonna solve your problems. How old were you when you got diagnosed with that bipolar? I think I was 23. Well, wow. that was that was when I accepted it. I had been diagnosed also at I think yes. uh, 20 and 21 and other times in my life too. But the manic episode happened at 23. Yeah, <laughs> that really sealed the deal. <laughs> That really sealed the deal. But you know what? <laughs> lucky for you, and I know this might sound crazy, but lucky for you that you had that at 23 and not when you were 40 with two kids and a husband and a career, you know, and a TV show and like, you know, all of these things that could have went wrong. I almost would want the trauma earlier in life so I wouldn't know anything else. Yeah, I mean, to some degree... It like I said, especially with bipolar disorder and other mental health issues, the earlier you catch it, the more potential your brain has to heal. So maybe two months ago, I went to a clinic called the Amen Clinic, and they do spec scans. They've uh, scanned Miley Cyrus's brain, and they've scanned my brain, and they were able to see that my brain, like, at least right now, has the potential to go back to 95 to 99% capacity of healing, which means even though I'm clinically diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that doesn't mean that that has to be the rest of my life. And part of that is because we caught it early. You know, I'm, I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm making choices that are healthier for my brain. So if that had happened when I was 40, after, you know, years and years of drinking and drugs and, and yeah. you know, not, not getting help, then it might not be as reversible. 
you know, we look at people and we think that could never happen to me. You know, I'm sure in a million years you would have never thought you would be homeless. No, and no one looks at a small child and is like that little kid's going to grow up to be, you know, homeless someday. Especially coming from, you know, I came from a very privileged family. I grew up in upper middle class suburbia. You know, no one looks at someone in my with my level of privilege and thinks that will happen to me, but it did. You grew up in privilege. Like I know like some people who have been rich their whole lives. I could never imagine someone being homeless. How did you end up, you know, couch surfing and going from house to house? I don't want to necessarily throw my family under a bus, so I won't say much, but my mom was struggling with her own mental health issues and my dad really did not understand mine and basically turned me away. So, um, yeah, it was, how old were you? That was also around 23 when I had that manic episode. And I, it was actually my pageant coach who let me come sleep on the floor of her office. And it took me about four months to be seen by a psychiatrist after getting released from the hospital, which is also like completely unacceptable. Once I actually saw a doctor, it took me about a month to return to having my own job in my own house again. So I think that that really puts into perspective, like people perceived me as just this like broken disaster. Yes. But really, I just needed help and I needed health care. And as soon as I received that, I was able to get back on my own feet again. And by the way, you are you were living in what city? This was actually in Los Angeles at the time. You were living in L.A., which is kind of a progressive place. You were surrounded by people who were career-oriented and who had connections, and you still couldn't get any health care? Yeah, I mean... And Mental health care. I, I take responsibility for part of that, which is that I was very ashamed of myself, and I didn't reach out to everybody. You know, it wasn't like everybody knew what I was going through. But at the time, you know, when you lose your job and you, I wasn't financially in a situation to afford, like, super quality health insurance, I was on free government health insurance, and a lot of people in Los Angeles don't even accept that or take that. So it's, wow. you know, those, the wait lists and the, the lines to get seen by those doctors can be pretty long. Well, this is why I understand that mental health is a big initiative and has been a big initiative for you the past two pageants that you've done. It all is yeah. making sense now. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, even just this last pageant, you know, obviously I didn't win Miss USA, but one of the last questions was mental health reform. And I think that's what broke my heart the most was not necessarily not winning, but not being able to speak about it on stage at Miss USA because I'm like, I have all of the answers. Like I have the answers to this question, but you know, it's actually like, I think a blessing in disguise because it made me realize like, well, maybe I need to dedicate more of my life to actual mental health reform, not just pageantry. I mean, at the intersection of pageantry and reform, you got to have that platform. You got to be able to be seen. So I understand yeah, it's true. Why this was so important for you. And I think that you should definitely keep on going. But there's also this bisexuality thing mm-hmm. that I'm sure you dealt with for a while. You know, I'm sure this plagued you in your mind for quite some time. When did you realize that you were bisexual? Because I knew I was gay at five. Yeah, I was attracted to women first. So I was attracted to women before I was attracted to men. I think. One of my very first kisses was when I was, you know, in second grade and it was a girl. I didn't really, you know, count it because I was so young, but the attraction was there. And I remember in high school, I had a crush on this guy and I just felt so relieved because I was like, okay, cool. Like I can be normal. I can blend in. We can just pretend that this other piece of me doesn't exist. 
because I grew up in a really conservative community where, you know, as a little kid, I was told that being queer was like a sin second to murder. Like murder was the worst thing you could do. And then being gay was like equal or number two. Wow. Like <laughs> it was put on a pretty bad ranking system. So, you know, I just cut that whole piece of myself off and pretended like it didn't exist. Um, you know, I had a couple, you know, experiences with women, but it wasn't until I was older that I really like actually went on a date with a girl and I didn't come out until two years ago. So it, it was definitely a late blooming process before I finally, you know, felt that level of acceptance and realized that the God that I believe in will love me for who I am because that God made me as I am. Isn't that crazy whenever you come to that realization? <laughs> I grew up in South Louisiana in a very Catholic family. I went to Catholic school my whole life. All I kind of sort of knew was like the Bible and back that ass up. Those are the two things that you learned in Louisiana. So coming to Los Angeles and finding myself, there's this struggle that you have with yourself and your, and your religion. And I went through this push and pull you know, being mad at the church, but then very shortly after realizing that God made me this way for a reason, mm -hmm. and I'm going to figure out what that reason is. I've kind of sort of figured it out, but I don't know for sure. I'm mm -hmm. still waiting for that lightning bolt to like strike mm -hmm. me right when I say it. Uh, but it's crazy. What is that reason? What do you think it is? I think it's for the same reason that God made Jay Manuel. By the way, the first time I ever saw America's Next Top Model, the only other time I had ever seen a gay man on TV, it was The Laramie Project, which was basically a lifetime movie about Matthew Shepard being killed for being a gay man. Or I watched Designing Women, or I watched, you know, the gay man get beat up in a movie. Like there was never a depiction of like a gay man who was successful, who made his own money. And for me, watching America's Next Top Model and seeing Jay Manuel be himself and be proud and people look at him like an authority figure, it kind of reshaped what I thought gay men were like. And if it hit me in little old Brobridge, Louisiana, how many other boys out there saw Jay Manuel and said, oh my God, this dude's getting paid to tell people what to look like and what to smile like? And here I am, this poor gay black man working on television, seeing 20 countries in the last four years, hanging out with some of the most fabulous people and doing some of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done in my life. And I think it's because I'm supposed to be a proxy for someone else to watch that TV and see, oh my God, this black gay man is doing something I can too. You just never know how many people are looking up to you and how many people are inspired by you. And I mean, I'm not, I'll never know what it's like to be a black man or a black woman, but I can definitely say as a queer woman to see another, you know, queer man being successful, it makes me feel inspired and it makes me feel like, you know, I can keep going. And even being able to have such transparent conversations about mental health, like to me, that makes me feel so much hope that, you know, modern media and modern society could accept me for who I am. And I don't have to be different or pretend like I don't have these experiences because I do. And, and so many Americans do, you know, millions of Americans have been through the exact same thing as me, but they've never had someone speak out for them in public. So, you know, you being so open to that conversation really does create so much space for people to feel like they can maybe just take a deep breath and they're going to be okay. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You are redefining what it means to be perfect in a place where we've only seen one type of perfect. You know what I mean? You know, there was a certain bikini and there was a certain tan and the hair did the same thing. And I think little girls looked at that and thought, this is perfection. She is going to be the representation of perfection for our country. And then you got on stage and you showed a whole different side of perfection, the flawed and real and amazing side of perfection. Has that hit you yet? <laughs> it's I mean, wild. That was my hope, right? That's why I started in pageants. I wanted to start in the place that had the least room for being imperfect and then go from there. Oh my God. What's the, what's the feedback been from people just in general? I think for the most part, it's been incredibly positive. And a lot of people that have felt like for the first time they saw someone on that stage that felt like them, you know, whether they're queer or not, or have mental health issues or not, I think just seeing someone put themselves out there without trying to hide every piece of themselves that's not perfect has given a lot of people that, you know, that comfort and that sense of representation. And then also there are a lot of people that I think I made feel very uncomfortable. You know, I was the first woman to ever wear pants on stage at Miss USA in 69 years. And I think that challenges a lot of people's ideas of gender expression. And I don't think everyone liked it. <laughs> but, Can know, you imagine? At least I'm able to do that. <laughs> Wait. In 69 years, you're telling me that not one bitch has worn a power suit? Not one. Wow. That's wild to me. <laughs> and it was a really big deal. <laughs> yeah. It made a lot of people angry. <laughs> Can you imagine? We live in a world where people would get mad that a woman wore pants. <laughs> you know what? I actually can believe that. Because that is the world we live in. <laughs> Now, let me ask you this question, because, you know, I think a lot of people suffer from mental health issues. I really do. And I think a lot of people in Hollywood and in the forefront do suffer from mental health issues. I think that it takes a special kind of mind to go after a dream that big and to be able to transform and transport and give yourself to people. I think it takes a lot of some toll on your mind. Mm -hmm. What do you say about people who say you just said you were bisexual? for the attention and to get the leg up on your contestants? Well, first of all, I had no idea that I was the first openly queer woman at Miss USA. I, I knew it would be a first in Utah, and that was really exciting because I know how much Utah needs that representation, but yes. I did not know. I did not know until days afterwards that it had never happened at Miss USA before. A surprise to me. I think I would also say that, like, if I'm just being really honest. Yeah, come on, girl. It's just to say it. We're going to be honest. Until you know what it's like to be homeless or to lose your mind, like, you just have no place to judge any of the choices that I make, you know? Like, 100%. Yeah, 
I am grateful that the press is taking notice of me and giving me a voice because I believe that there needs to be more bisexual women and more people in general with bipolar disorder that have a voice in modern media. But yeah. I didn't I didn't come out for that reason and I'm I'm not queer for that reason. I'm I'm grateful it's happening, but you don't come out to your family and let them tell you that you are an embarrassment and that they completely failed you just to win a pageant or just to get attention. I'm not going to pretend I don't like the attention, but that's not what influenced my life choices. Oh my God. Where were you when I was coming out? <laughs> I'd have been like, Miss Utah is doing it too. Look, it's fine guys. Yeah. It's cool. Miss Utah is doing it too. I can, this is fine. I am really grateful for Halsey because she is an openly bisexual woman. She's open about having bipolar disorder and she also has been homeless and she's extremely talented and successful. And I feel like her being out and open about all of those things about herself has inspired me in some of my lowest moments that nothing has to hold me back from having a really happy life, including, you know, the challenges I face. I live for her and I love her. And I like that she is like just honest. Like I think that a lot of people in the public you know, sphere, we're so afraid to be judged for having mental health issues, for having depression. And I really do think the younger generation, these people are not afraid to say how they feel. And I know a lot of times we make fun of that generation because they're lazy or their parents told them that they were great at anything and they could do whatever they wanted to do. But most of them are taking that to heart and they're like, hey, guess what? I'm trans. I am dealing with depression. I have anxiety and yeah. this is fine. And a lot of people do. So get with it. And I'm like, yes, 20 something year olds. We're so prone to judge people for glamorizing mental illness. But my intention has always been to maybe glamorize mental health and make it you know, glamorous to take care of yourself and to love yourself on that level. And if someone's going to the point where they're sharing that they have mental illness in front of other people, like there's a reason for that. You know, they're, they're needing to be heard. They're needing to be seen and they're not getting that need met maybe in a closer place. You know, I know for myself, people in my immediate circle had no idea what I was going through. So it wasn't until I started connecting with strangers and, you know, talking to more people out there in the world that I finally felt like somebody understands me. So rather than judging someone for sharing what they're going through, we should realize you know, they have a need that they are trying to get met. And, and that's a very human thing. Every human needs to be seen and needs to be heard. You know, we all need that. Yeah. Can you imagine that in the 60s and 70s that being gay or bisexual was constituted as a mental illness? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can you believe that people were put in institutions for being gay and were giving shock treatments for thinking like the way we do it's just nice to see that we've come farther than that you know because it's kind of unfathomable that that's where we started my aunt used to say bisexual people are just greedy <laughs> they they are the greediest people you've ever met in your life they just want the best of both worlds and they are just greedy, okay? <laughs> Don't ever trust somebody who says they're bisexual. They just are greedy. <laughs> you know what? She might be right. <laughs> I think she might be right. We but get the when best I was role. what would happen when we were younger is that people would use the bisexuality as like 
a way to ease into coming out and saying they were gay. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like, Definitely. oh no, bro, I'm bi. I think I'm bi, bro. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm gay and I'm in Hamilton on Broadway and my boyfriend Damien lives and cooks <laughs> flan every other night. Like, so <laughs> it was, that's what I knew about bisexuality. I, yeah. I just didn't think it existed. There's a lot of that. I think it's called bisher, where basically people just don't believe that bi people exist, but I mean, I'm just here to tell people that it's actually very possible to be attracted to both genders. You know, I think sexuality in general is a more fluid thing than people think. But for the most part, you know, I, I just I've liked women. I've been in love with women. I've loved men. Um, I've been attracted to both. It, it changes sometimes. I feel like I date more men. Sometimes I feel like I'm dating more women. But there's never a point in time yeah. where, you know, that other piece of myself doesn't exist. So if I was a girl... And I was a lesbian. Mm -hmm. I would want to date somebody who looks, because I would be a girly girl. Like mm -hmm. a bitch would be girly. I would be in heels every day. The hair would be parted down the middle, down to my butt. <laughs> she would be in so much debt because sex would have taken it out of me. Um, and it's interesting that like, I don't know why gays and lesbians don't get along. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I will say that I feel like I've experienced more quote unquote bullying from people within the queer community than outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, lesbians don't like women who date men. They don't like bisexual women. Yeah, and I, I honestly can empathize with that because I know what it's like to date a woman who's like curious things for her and then all of a sudden she's like, I don't know, I'm not curious anymore. <laughs> And that really hurts. Dude. So it's the worst. It's the worst. So I, I could honestly empathize with someone who like fully knows that they're a hundred percent about women and maybe just doesn't want to deal with the fact that someone could decide maybe they are missing men sometimes. So Okay, let's play a game. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend that I work for ABC <laughs> and I call you and uh -huh. I say, Hey girl, look, we're gonna do Bachelorette. And we are going to make it and we're going to find men and women um, of your liking. And you are going to date men and women. You can pick your location of what city you would like to do it in. And we are going to let you choose the tagline for your season. <laughs> what are those two things? Um, I would pick Tulum, Mexico. And then the tagline would be she likes both, but she's looking for one. Oh my God, Chris Harrison needs to meet you. <laughs> but but this is my fear. This is my fear. So, you know, you start off with 30. So you would have 15 guys and 15 girls. Mm -hmm. My only fear for you would be that the girls and the guys would bachelor in paradise it they would meet up in a hot tub you know you know people get drunk into loom of all places how would you keep them not you know entertained with one another as i call it being entertained well i think we would have to at least have the first few episodes with them in separate housing so that we can kind of develop a connection first and then maybe as the group gets smaller then everyone gets introduced and then you know, at that point, it will find out if they're really there for me or not, you know? Ugh, ABC, if you don't pick up the damn phone, you better call mm -hmm. this person's agent and get this all situated. This would be amazing. My only issue is, and I say <laughs> this because I love you, 
<laughs> and I am ride or die for you. I don't care. We're friends. I don't care if you don't know me, but we're friends in my head. Um, I often tell people who go on reality TV shows that the things that you deal with in your private life start off as cracks. And the bigger you get and the more notoriety you get and the more people that know you and judge you, those cracks become craters. Do you ever fear that being an actress or being a singer or being, you know, you know, taking that next step into something that will give you more notoriety, do you think it would upset, you know, or bring up old issues regarding, you know, the mania or the eating disorder or any of that other stuff? You know, I've asked myself that question actually a lot because I, I, you know, I hoped that I had won Miss USA by now. So I hoped that that was already happening. And I was genuinely very afraid. Like, I remember I've told some of my friends, like, I'm scared I'll win and I'm scared of being successful because of all of these things that, you know, have happened in my past. And then some of my friends have given me some advice. And one of those is if something scares you, that's usually a sign that you should go towards that thing, not run away from it. Second of all, like, because I'm so open and honest and not ask for help or to let people know when I'm struggling, I think that I don't have that same fear of like relapsing or going backwards because if there was a problem, I would just go back to a hospital, you know, like yeah. it doesn't have to be this big shameful thing. And then also what lights me up is entertaining people. And, you know, I don't understand why I would allow my illnesses or my past to stop me from living a happy life and totally understand that that comes with other things you don't expect and probably lots of hatred. And I don't really want to spend my life like being afraid of people that don't like me. I would rather just like do things I love and do it for the people that, you know, that need me. Oh, my God. I should ask that question at Miss USA. <laughs> Answer, yeah, that's my final answer. I think it was a blessing in disguise that you didn't win Miss USA. I think devoting a year to something like Miss USA would have taken away from your true life's journey. And I think that you, by wearing those pants, by talking about mental illness, by talking about being homeless, by talking about all of those things on such a national platform you have already opened the door for the next Miss You to walk through and walk on that stage. And I think that your journey is just starting and it's going to pop off and you should be prepared because <laughs> it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. Um, this is, I think it's, honestly, I think, I honestly think there is a reason why you didn't win. Have you thought that? I've heard nothing but people telling me the exact same thing. You know, even some of my coaches that thought that I would do better than I did said, like, we don't have any doubt that you were meant to do something bigger if this isn't what happened. So, you know, I, I'm not afraid to like be ambitious and I'm not afraid to go for the biggest life possible. I don't know why anyone would want to play small. Like we should all chase all of our dreams and meet each other at the psych ward at the top if we have to, you know? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Okay. So tell me your celebrity type on, on both sides. For females, I'm super attracted to Ashley Benson. I think she's so cute. Um, mm -hmm. And I hear she's single. So, hey, Ashley, what's up? Then I also am really into Pete Davidson. I think he's so funny. Bitch, no, we are not hooking you up with Pete Davidson. Okay, <gasps> not so today. <laughs> no, I'm your gay godfather. <laughs> you, no, no. First of all, first and foremost, we've all seen those gray sweatpants. 
That's one thing. So I get it. But Pete Davidson is a tornado in the sense that he'll wrap you up in all of it and be like, yes, love, 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 love. But I truly think that Pete Davidson, and no shame, you know those codependent people that get like so enthralled with somebody and then you can't breathe? Yeah. Oh, so it might be good for you. It might be good for you. Okay, it, since Pete Davidson's always engaged to somebody, give me a second one. Who else is like super funny? I love humor. That's You like that's funny, like, funny guys. I like funny, funny guys. I love that you just had Pete Davidson on your mind. I think he might be single. <laughs> I love I love his whole vibe. Like he he's moody. I feel like he would get the fact that I once thought Elon Musk was coming to pick me up in a spaceship and take me to Mars. Like that's that is that is a certain breed of person. You have to keep that in mind. <laughs> but what if, but what if you ended up in one of those stand-up comedy specials? Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't date like a rapper. Not that like a rapper would date me, but there was one rapper who kind of sort of hit on me one time. Mm-hmm. But he would always be like, man, I can't believe you're so scared of me. And I'm like, yes, because I don't want to end up on your next album. Like, I'm not, no, I'm not, a, I'm not a song. Because I could see my ass driving on the 405 and all of a sudden hear a line in a song that reminded me of me and I would literally crash my car. I actually, if someone did a stand-up comedy special making fun of me, that would, that would, I would hope that that was the person I was dating because I, I have a sense of humor. I think that'd be great. I'm gonna send this clip to Pete Davidson. So okay. shoot your shot. Look, look. Okay. Yeah, you you have 15 seconds to shoot your shot. I'm sending this to Pete Davidson. In five, <laughs> four, three, two, one. Hey Pete, it's me, Rachel Lawson. I'm Miss Utah USA. I was the first bisexual woman at Miss USA. I just lost. I'm currently in my pajamas, eating Ben and Jerry's. Um, but I'm still looking for love and. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about um, couples therapy as a first date, but I feel like that's probably where you and I should start. But there's hope. I think we could have a really healthy relationship and it would be really fun. And you're going to name your first baby Justin because I just hooked it up. <laughs> and I'm also now going to send this one over to ABC. So shoot your shot with Chris Harrison. You have 15 seconds. Put it on the clock in three, two, one, go. <laughs> Hey, Chris, it's Rachel Slauson. I'm Miss Utah USA, and I was the first openly bisexual woman at Miss USA, and I would like to be your first bisexual bachelorette. I believe that the world's ready for it. I know it's probably really scary, but I'm also a Christian, so that will get like half your viewers involved, and mostly I just want to show the world that anybody deserves love, including bisexual people, because we're here. And um, I also have bipolar, so that might add a little layer of um, excitement to your season. But mostly we're just going to raise awareness again that people with mental health issues exist and we deserve love and we deserve it in mainstream media. So call me. I will give you a rose on that one. (laughs) Yes, everybody, please give a hand. Thank you so much for being so open and honest (laughs) and taking this sip. And we truly appreciate it. I know everybody out there listening to this is probably thinking the same thing. Rachel Slauson, you are a friend of the sip and we appreciate you and thank you for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. You guys, thanks for listening and do not forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And you can follow me at The Lady Sitter and be sure to come back every week for another pour of your favorite celebrity.